Hey guys, just a little forewarning. This episode might not be for everybody. Basically, what I want to explain is my experience with um, lymphoma, specifically the type that's called non-Hodgkin's primary mediastinal. And this basically came out of nowhere for me last year. Um, you probably, if you've listened to multiple episodes, you've heard me talk about it um, and reference it. But this one, I'm going to go through it and basically get the whole thing off my chest and get it out there so that other people can draw what they will from my experience. And we're just going to go from there. So basically what happened was I was training and working out like crazy last, well, end of 2019 into 2020. Living in Midland, Texas, working... um, basically out in the field most of the time, but still in the office, and I was feeling good. I was bicycling a lot. Um, Of course, lockdown changed things dramatically because we weren't really able to do our F45 except for these remote workouts and stuff, but leading up to it, from what the doctors had told me, um, this had been developing for six months to a year. Um, I'll just go ahead and get it out there. They don't know why lymphoma develops. They have theories and a lot of speculative causes, but to my knowledge and everyone that I talk to, basically it's just your cells become cancerous and they will um, basically metastasize in a place. Mine happened to be the right side, but the middle of my chest and it was a tumor about the size of my fist so probably a little bit larger than a baseball actually what i've realized lately is it's most closely um sized to about a baked potato that you would have with a good steak dinner but that's probably about the worst representation of it because yeah hopefully i didn't ruin baked potatoes for you but rather than this being just a dark gloomy podcast about my experience with cancer at 31 years old, I'm going to try and keep it lighter because it was not, yeah, nobody wants this to happen. Nobody wants to deal with this, but I am better for it. Um, It put a lot of things in perspective for me because I had just a, a very intermittent cough, seemed more like allergies at first, and as it continued, so I started coughing in at the end of March, and it wasn't enough to really keep me down. Like I, when they reopened the gyms, I was working out, I was bicycling, I was running, I was working, and I was flying drones out in the field. And finally, the coughing got to the point where I would have fits, and I ended up having chest pain from it on June 5th, I believe it was, of 2020. And I told my wife, um, I said, I'm going to call my mom. My mom is a nurse. And I said, I have chest pain from this coughing that I've been having. That being said, I had been to an emergency clinic twice during the beginning of COVID for this cough, intermittent allergy type of thing. And if you ever have something that you know is not right, make sure you exhaust every avenue of getting yourself looked at just because there's something stupid going on like COVID where they want to 
examine you and your vehicle, but charge you the full price of an examination, but not bring you into the clinic and x-ray your chest, damn near killed me. Because I had this for two months, and because of COVID and the nonsense that they had put in place, I couldn't get a chest x-ray until I basically showed up and said, I think I'm having a heart attack and I'm 31 years old. You people better take me in and x-ray my chest. Lo and behold, they did find a baseball-sized tumor. Initially, from what they could see on an x-ray, they thought I had pneumonia. But luckily, the x-ray tech was very sharp, and I really need to find out who that person was. At the time, it was just so chaotic and, and shocking that um, that detail was was lost on me even till now. But he said, I think we need to do a, a CT scan on this guy. And then the CT showed this mass. And from there, basically what happened was my dad was flying a trip, and I believe he got off the trip at the end and basically jumped on a, another airplane and came to Dallas. Along the way, he picked up my mom, and they drove from Dallas to Midland, and we pretty much knew at that point there was nothing that could be done for me in West Texas. I had to get to a tertiary center to have this addressed. So without getting off in the weeds with the details that really don't help anybody but me, I went home to Pittsburgh where I'm originally from and UPMC treated me um, right off the bat. They took me into the ER straight from the airport at like 12 o'clock at night and basically said we need to do a CT guided biopsy on this thing and find out what it is that is expanding in there and why there's a tumor in your chest at this age. So the CT guided biopsy was painful, or I thought at the time. Um, Anytime they put a needle through your chest wall, it hurts. But if you're in this situation, you can withstand it, and you will find out by the end of it that you're a lot tougher than you give yourself credit for because, unfortunately, the honest-to-God's truth is it's just the beginning. And in order to really tell the story properly, the CT-guided biopsy did not yield anything for me, but it had to be done in case they did get a piece of tissue that could be studied and could provide a diagnosis. The thing I deal with today, not so much now, um, I've, but say December through now, I had the, the, the sensation of a lot of nerve damage because due to the CT-guided biopsy res- resulting in a lot of necrotic tissue that was basically unstudiable, they deemed that I needed what they call VAT surgery, and it stands for Video Assisted Thoracic Surgery. And I have three scars on my right rib cage, um, and they kind of look like bullet holes, to be honest with you, but they're not. One was for a drain, and the drain was put in after the sur- or at the end of the surgery because they had used those three entry points between my ribs through the cartilage to go in there and robotically remove a good portion of the tumor that was my lymphoma metastasized. And in removing those large pieces, the majority of it, they were able to do a staining study and read it 
and determined that I had non-Hodgkin's primary mediastinal and it needed to be treated. So there's a lot of Googling that can be done. Don't do it. Just listen to what the professionals tell you because Google is not a doctor. It has information that they probably have put out there, but you're only going to cause yourself anguish and stress more so than you probably already deal with. So the next big step for me was, and mentally you're processing all this, these surgeries, these, I don't know how to really sum it up completely, but there's a lot to absorb. There's a lot to lock away. And then there is a lot to unpack and deal with. And you cannot eat an elephant in one bite. There's a lot of things that prepare you for this type of thing, but do not, you just cannot be ready for all of it. So you have to put it in boxes and organize it and understand that this is your plight. And despite whether or not you're the type of person that believes in fair or unfair, you have to deal with this. The only way out of it is through it. And that is how I got through the next six months of EPOC R, which the EPOC EPOCH stands for the ingredients in the chemotherapy. The R stands for uh, rituxan. So I spent the better part of 40 plus days in 2020 physically in the hospital as an inpatient getting this chemotherapy. And then, so I would go in on a Monday and they would access my port, which I actually still have in my chest. Um, that's a, a something I should actually stop and cover. If you're going to get chemo and there's any question of, there is no question, you should get a medical port. It saves your veins. It saves your body. It is uncomfortable at first, depending on what type of shape you're in. It can be very uncomfortable. My skin was strung pretty tight over it once they put it in. It's just below my right collarbone uh, in the upper right part of my chest. And it just basically looks like the, the top third of a golf ball under there. But it, um, it saved me a lot of pain and anguish that would have been yielded from having chemo. I just don't think I could have withstood it going in through an, a traditional IV. So... I still have it. They tell me to keep it for about a year. I'm going to keep it as long as I feel that I should keep it. So moving on from that, when I would go into the hospital, I'd go in on a Monday morning and I would be in there until about Friday afternoon and I would get a new bag of chemo every day and I did lose my hair. It has grown back. I... I can't tell you all the things because I just kind of can't remember all of them for whatever reason. I think your brain protects you from your experience just because that's how we're created. And as much as I don't want there to be dead air on this podcast, I have to think very hard to get all the important details to the surface. But What I found was there was a lot of unknowing, and there's only so many questions you can ask and get answers to without, there's some things you just need to hear from another patient, another person that's been through it, and that's what I'm hoping 
even though my podcast is not about lymphoma and not about my experience, I want this episode to get out there to people so they know what could potentially be down the road if they find themselves in the situation that I found myself in simply from coughing and going to the ER. So chemotherapy is not easy. That's no secret. Everybody knows it. Everybody probably knows somebody or knows someone who has told them about someone that's gone through it. And it is, for me, being 31 years old and being in athlete type of shape, I withstood it for about, let's see, about nine to ten weeks. I would get out of the hospital. The only thing that was, I had a hard time learning was that I could not eat like I always did. Um, I would have indigestion. I would have just this overly full feeling. It's a lot of fluid to be taking on. And so that was something that my angelic wife always brought me like home cooked food while I was in the hospital. And that I think did more for me, maybe more or at least as much as the actual treatment did because hospital food is just crap. So you had to learn from each cycle. And so I'd have a week in and two weeks out. And the first week out was usually just absolute hell. Um, your skin would ache, your muscles would hurt, your, um, your hips would hurt because that is where your bone marrow regenerates. And so on the, I referenced the rituxan earlier. Rituxan would be given to me on a Monday after I got out. And then I would have a, um, a Udenica or a new Lasta shot in the back of my bicep or in back of my arm, like your tricep after that. And that would cause regeneration of blood cells and, A secret that a lot of people don't know but usually find out is that by taking Claritin, you can counteract these bone aches that that blood cell regenerative um, medication causes. And I mean, when you first have it come on, it's kind of like you threw your back out and you can't get comfortable. And the first time it hit me, we were in the car going to get groceries and I just kept squirming and it was just a weird, almost like yeah, like a pulled muscle type of feeling, but it continued to escalate to the point where like, I couldn't sit down. The only thing you can do for yourself is to get out and walk as much as you don't want to. You have to get out and move. You have to maintain what you had because you will lose it. And I'll get to how I rebuilt my body later, but right now we're going to, we're going to talk about how the chemo built up and I was wishfully thinking that I would be just downright impossible to kill and I would withstand the chemo in round six leading up to it was like right before Thanksgiving that I finished so I started chemo on July 21st 2020 and I finished my hospital stay my final one on November 6th I officially finished chemo on November 22nd in between those dates, I ended up getting to the point where I was so tired that going from the couch to my desk 
was a challenge. It was like running a marathon almost. And I just, I think that's why the brain protects you. Once you, when you try and look back on it, you really have to get deep into the, the reflection and the, and dredge up those, those experiences because it was unprecedented. And the only thing I could do is tell myself, once you are through this and you are healthy again, you're going to be able to withstand much, much more than you could even before. And so I worked remotely because we were already working remotely through my treatment. And while I was in the hospital, you get um, steroids and other support medications and protective medications to protect your system because it's under attack from both the cancer and the chemo and the stress. And while I was in the hospital, I could work like 12 solid hours without even thinking, because what else do you have to do? You're tethered to what I dubbed the smoke pole. And I don't know why I called it that, but the pole that the chemo bags are hung from and all the pump equipment's on just, there's nothing I ever want to see again, but I'm damn happy that someone had the, uh, the brains to create it and engineer it and, and test it and figure it out. Cause it, I owe my life to it today. And there's just a lot about the experience of being in there that if I just had to sit in there and watch Netflix and Hulu and YouTube, I would have driv- driven myself crazy. Not that I didn't, but the point is you, if you're working and, and you're a professional and you have the opportunity to remotely continue on, it's in your best interest from my point of view, having done it to just continue because it will keep you occupied. It'll keep your purpose rooted. It'll keep your foundation solid and it'll move you forward because the only way through this thing is to get through it. So I could go on and on about all six rounds. Um, round three really kind of impacted me the, the hardest. I was, it was starting to build up. My body was pretty worn out at this point and I developed what they call mucositis. And the reason why I say this podcast may not be for everyone, if you've made it this far, then you're listening to this for whatever good reason. Mucositis was the worst part. Basically, it's where your immune system gets so low that the bacteria that's naturally in your mouth when you're normal causes an infection. Your tongue swells, your cheeks split on the inside. It is the most painful thing I have ever dealt with in my entire life. Hands down, bar none. On a scale of 1 to 10, it's like a 30. And not everybody gets it. But a lot of people do. I, unfortunately, was one that did. And the only way to really treat it is to eat popsicles, try not to talk, lay quiet, work, concentrate, um, drink a lot of bone broth. The more bone broth you can, don't drink so much you make yourself sick, but as long as you can keep yourself hydrated and energized, the faster you will come out of it. And it usually happens like the Wednesday after the first week. So about day 10 to 12. 
and it can last anywhere depending on your cycles from day 12 through um, through the end of your your third week of the cycle. And it did put me in the hospital um, outside of my treatments because it got to the point where I just needed an IV for fluids and I needed some some infusions to get me back to where I could continue on with my treatment. And you come to a point somewhere along the way with your support people and something that I really had to work hard on was making sure that if I was frustrated, it didn't get displaced onto anyone. Because if you do get to the point where your counts are so low and you're fighting mucositis, you realize that it's coming back. The next round, you're going to have it. If you get it on one, you're going to get it with the future ones. And once I I figured that out and I accepted it, I was able to meet it head on rather than allow it to attack me. And so by meeting it head on, it didn't make it any easier, but mentally I felt stronger for getting through that cycle and getting on to the next one because the only way out of it is through it. And I'll probably put that on a freaking t-shirt or something or a hat or I don't know, but it was the worst part by far. Like losing your hair is a, a mental thing and it will grow back. It'll grow back different. My beard came back better than than anything. Um, the hair on my head is still kind of light. It's getting more normal. Um, your fingernails will be papery. They will be ridged. They will be painful. I would not recommend any hard work for at least three months out if you can avoid it. I didn't have that option. I had to move my entire household three times. That's another story. Um, but it was, that's basically, those are the details that I want people to know that I've covered so far. I've had, I think two PET scans so far since I had one on December 14th that showed me in full remission. And that was fantastic because we celebrated, um, at Nemecolon Woodlands Resort that weekend after, and I started to feel normal again. I mean, I still didn't necessarily look normal, but I felt normal. Um, and then we had Christmas, which was at one point last year, I didn't really know if I'd be around to see it. And it was chaotic just because, but it was just the best thing. I'm just happy to be here. And so this is the part, I hope everybody listens to this and makes it to this part, because lymphoma, especially non-Hodgkin's primary mediastinal, is, if there's a cancer to have, this is the one, because it's curable, I have a 95% success rate, um, and I did not think that on at, by the end of March, I would be physically back and beyond the shape I was in before this happened. I'm in better shape because I don't have a giant tumor in my chest pressing on my right lung. But the the damage that was done to my body was so unbelievably severe that 
I did I just couldn't fathom it recovering. And I started out slow with walking and just getting back to normal. Like I said, I had to move um, out of the apartment in Pittsburgh. I had to move out of the house in Midland. Like me and my wife did it ourselves. We drove the trucks. We it was an undertaking. And that the more I moved at that point, at the end of November there, in the beginning of December, the better I felt. And so my theory was, once we got settled in Cyprus, outside of Houston, to get back to F-45, because that was the best shape I'd ever been in, and, like, it's like this one was placed right here. It's, it's two miles from the apartment right now, and it's two miles from the house we're building, and everybody is awesome there, and they push you hard enough to be in shape and I am to the point now where I can bicycle 25 miles in a day I can do an f45 or two if I wanted and the only way to get back to normal is to put it behind you and if you have to talk to somebody about it or um, try and be a, a support person for somebody that's going through it there's all types of ways that you can handle this that I'm finding out. But so far for me in this short time period that's elapsed since I kind of got my life back, so to speak, I have hit the gym almost every single day and pushed myself as hard as I think I can push myself. And having a good balanced diet and also enjoying some things, enjoying the foods that you couldn't eat when you were going through treatment, like the spicy things, the Mexican food, the, um, the cookies, the, as long as you're working out and eating a balanced, wholesome diet, you can also enjoy some things because you have to focus on reducing the stress. You're not the same at the end of this, after this, that you were before. You're more conscious that Something caused you to have to face this, and my money is on stress, because as each generation progresses, we have things like cell phones, multiple computer screens, multiple laptops, multiple iPads. We're constantly connected, and it's hard to shut off. It's almost impossible to shut off. Now, I know I'm a little contradictory because I said work through chemo. It worked for me. It might not be for everybody, but for me, it was a a benefit that I didn't disconnect then. Initially, when I was first going through this, I was off because I was going through surgeries and, and tests and things of that nature. But now that I'm on the backside of this, I realize how I handled it was the best way that could have been. And I also see some of the errors in the way I lived prior to this. And so every day when I get up, I try and prioritize things to not necessarily eliminate the stress, but to better handle it rather than to just shove it off and and not address it. I have to change things and be a planner and just do do better time management. Not that I didn't before, but we always have room for improvement. And like I said before, I'm better for this now that it's happened 
I hope no one that listens to this ever has to go through anything that I did. But I have to believe that there is somebody watching over all of us. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. And that everything does happen for a reason. Even the worst things that seem absolutely unbearable have good results. There is, as much as I used to hate the silver lining reference, there is a silver lining for everything. So, we're at 28 minutes. I would say a half hour on this is plenty. I'm going to try and not reference this a whole lot more. That's what this episode was for, was for me to just get it out there. Like I said, though, if somebody wants to reach out and needs to talk about it, that is part of being better for this experience.